Hi, this is Mary Angela Perna, and welcome to Lush Left Media. I have a special treat on today's program, someone I've wanted for a long time. I have A.C. Thompson. He's an investigative reporter, producer, and a film correspondent. He's a senior reporter with ProPublica and a correspondent for Frontline PBS. His work has helped lead to the exoneration of two innocent San Francisco men sentenced to life in prison, the prosecution of seven New Orleans police officers, and a congressional investigation of the U.S. Border Patrol. And his life was fictionalized on the HBO show Tremmy. Did I say that right? Tremmy? Tremmy. Okay. Wow. This will be, well, so you, the documentaries that we're going to talk about today, you did, and they're very long, and they're very detailed. So the first one was about Charlottesville, and the name of that was Documenting Hate. So you did a series, like Documenting Hate, and then, like, Charlottesville. And then the second one is, it was only, it's just, a, in fact, I think, I hope you guys do, you know, another, an add-on to it or another one called American Insurrection. So this was just in April of 2021, sort of as a, like, a continuation of the story of Charlottesville and these far-right groups. But you're very detailed. You go very deep, deep dives into these right-wing militia types, you know, these right-wing fascist groups, really. And there's so much to ask you and talk about. Where do you want to begin? I don't, like, how, first of all, how did you get into reporting on the far right? You know, I, I first, I did my first story about far right extremists in the 1990s, uh, covering neo-Nazis in Germany and in, in Europe. And so I first, I did my first story back then. And at that time, the sort of thing that was going on was after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the reunification of Germany, there was this sort of upsurge in fascist activity in former Eastern, in what had been Eastern Germany, what had been uh, communist-controlled Germany. And there was a lot of concern about that at that time and a lot of, a lot of action at that time and, frankly, like violence and terrorism. There was a, a really horrendous um, incident at a... Uh, immigrant, um, refugee, uh, basically hostile apartment complex in Rostock, Germany that got burnt down um, by uh, neo-Nazis and fascists and average townspeople as well. And so that was the first time I I started reporting on this stuff. Um, I took a long break because honestly, that movement, um, the far-right movement uh, diminished in power both in, in Europe and in the U.S. for quite some time. Um, but you started seeing them ticking back up in um, activity, particularly on the militia side and the sovereign citizen side, back in the 2008, 2009, as Obama came into office. And okay. by, the time, by Trump period, by 2015, when Donald Trump was running for office, there was this full, uh, you know, full-scale resurgence and that's what drew me back to the beat. So in other words, when these never-Trumpers, who, by the way, listen, if you're pro-democracy, you know, we need a big coalition to, to save democracy. But I don't like the sort of whitewashing they sort of do with things. Where, like they, they, they almost make it sound like things started at Trump. Mm. Like, no. Right. You're, and, you, and you've done the deep dive work. Now, in when you were doing the work for the Charlottesville documentary. 
you really get into kind of how our military has been infiltrated. I don't know. Infiltrated isn't the right word. They're radicalized. Explain the military. There's like a direct, or what's, what, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? You can look at people that are engaging in this kind of right-wing extremism and mm. the military. Right, right. So, so that's our what supposed we know, to serve our country and protect us, correct? Right, right. What we know from the scholarship here, and, and Pete Simi, who's um, been in two or three of my films and is a really um, important student of the far right, has um, done, you know, a, a lot of really good research on this. We know that uh, when you look at domestic terror um, attacks in the U.S., the, the number of them that involve uh, current or former military is quite high. You know, you're looking at somewhere, depending on how you uh, do the calculation, somewhere between uh, 25 and 35 percent over the last 30 years. So, so it's, um, you know, important to note that there is this longstanding link between domestic terrorism, domestic extremism, and the military. And that's not at all to say that everyone in the military is a horrible Nazi and militia member and, right. and anti-government extremist. Quite the opposite. You know, it's an incredibly diverse workforce. It's probably the most diverse workforce in the country. Um, but there is, a, there is a persistent slice of people who right. do time in the military and either while they're in the military or after they come out end up being drawn to extremist activity and extremist groups. And I think the concern with that is that when your job is killing people and your job mm-hmm. is um, making war, that you can come out of, you can use those skills against the American people in ways that are far more devastating than someone who doesn't have that expertise and that experience. And I I think that's the the general concern. I think also to a certain extent, there's a a sort of thing that happens, which is that um, people end up in the military. They, the tools often that they have at their hands are um, the use of force in one way or another. So whether that's working as a combat engineer and, and doing explosives, whether that's working as a infantry man, um, whether that's working as a sniper, whatever it is. And then I think oftentimes there, there are times when people leave the service and the only tools they can think of to use to affect change in this country are the tools that they have just spent years learning in the military. And so that's like, which that's brings what they me, go to. They don't, they don't go, to, go ahead. Well, which brings me to your brilliant, you know, from insurrection to American insurrection, the you know the 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 follow-up film of the Charles film mm-hmm. that was just released. When I was watching, you know, I watch right-wing, like the Bannon show every day, which I want to ask you about Steve Bannon and et cetera. When I I, I watch that show for a reason because it's like that all of Trump's inner circle goes on there, so I know what they're mm-hmm. doing. Today he had Eric Prince on for hours, so there's a reason I watch this. I, I've always paid attention to right-wing media. They're doing a whole gaslighting exercise 
of it wasn't that bad or the libs are lying or, you know, this was nothing. You know what I mean, right? When I was mm, watching right. some of the footage, a lot of it was on, like, Alex Jones live-streamed a bunch of it and had it up on InfoWars, right? And I'm, well, I'm like, oh, look, I'm no military person. I didn't come from a military family, but I even showed some to, like, my husband, a couple people that I know, and I'm like, and I, because I was clipping out some of it before he took it all down, and I'm like, this looks very organized to me. Why is this looking, why do people look like they know what they're doing? They were, they were like in formation, not formation, like, you know, but like, there was like a, okay, 10 of you go in, 10 come out, right? I mean, there was a whole, it seemed very, 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 uh, like, they, like, these were practiced people somehow, or it was organized. Am I, am I saying this correctly, or am I, you understand no, what I'm trying you, I to think get you at? Had two, yeah, I think you had two things going on that day, right? So okay. I, I think that there were, there were groups of people who had thought a lot about this, who had made plans, who had a command structure, and they had someone who was helping to orchestrate their activities. And then I think you had a lot of people who had no plan and had only a vague idea of what they wanted to do. And and so I think you sort of had both of those um, sort of groups coalescing and entering into the the capital. So I think when you start looking at um, the Oath Keepers, the Threepers, the the Proud Boys, Mm -hmm. and some of the other actors there, you start seeing like a a level of organization uh, with, with some of the other groups, not so much, you know, and it's like, it's unclear, I think, from the court records and the, the reporting that's come out so far, how, how far that organization went with right. those who actually were, you know, planning, plotting, and had some sort of command structure. You know, what we, okay. the, the thing that's a trip about the Oath Keepers is that in militia circles, they had become kind of a joke because for years their leader, Stuart Rhodes, have been promising big things and big um, that he was going to go to war with the government. And every time there was a conflict, he kind of ran away. I mean, that's what happened at the Bundy Ranch. That's what happened. I think saying that he's an informant now isn't that like word on this a maga street that he's some sort of an informant or yeah and and you know and that. That ends up being the word about a lot of people. I mean, he spoke repeatedly to the government to the, without, you know, about, about all this. Um, so a- afterwards, after January 6th, I don't right. know if that's the case. I, you know, I have no idea if he is, you know, a lot of these groups. I don't either. I'm just saying with the MAGA. I don't, the MAGA people are liars, so who knows? I mean, Bob is saying that they, they seem, he doesn't seem to be in the highest. He was laughed at, and they were mocking him at CPAC. I do know that. I mean, he was, you know, he was a guy that, like, during the Stop the Steal protest, I remember seeing folks who were supposed to meet up and interview him, and, of course, he was, like, massively late and disorganized. And that was kind of, like, how he did things, you know. Um, okay. So it was somewhat surprising that, that his group ends up being the vanguard, and they, and, you know, all of this uh, talk about, going to war with the government over many years actually finally manifest in some sort of action. But I don't know, you know, I don't know how, um, I think it's still unclear how really organized they were. 
Um, and I think we're going to find out well, can more. We, from I want to talk about different right-wing groups. So let's go back okay. to your document. So your lead-up to all your research in the first one, the documenting hate, Charlottesville. Now you talk about Adam Waffen. You talk about the base. You talk about mm-hmm. these. Oh, explain to folks that might not be aware of what we're like. The bases isn't are they out of Canada or they were? Isn't that they had Canadian connections and they have a an yeah. American leader who's uh, ensconced in Russia, as far as we can tell. Yeah. Now is Adam Waffen um, weakened? Are they? Is there less of them now? Yeah, I would say so. They're pretty collapsed. So, if to, okay. to back up, to think about to think about it like this, and <clears throat> is to think about there being a spectrum of far right activist groups that range from on one side you could put it like this: you could say we have you have the full on neo Nazi terror organizations, and Adam Waffen would be that. Like they were right. a secretive underground explicitly neo-Nazi organization that aimed to overthrow the government through force of arms and bring on the collapse of society. And they were absolutely driven by a deep desire to sort of nihilistic, misanthropic desire to create chaos and violence and violence for, for its own sake. You would keep coming across that spectrum and you would have white nationalist groups that would say we're not neo-Nazis and we're not necessarily, uh, we wouldn't, we're not down for the stuff that Adam Waffen's doing, but we are white nationalists and we think this should be a country for whites only. You would keep coming across there and you could talk about the conspiracy theorists and the QAnon types and the people who are obsessed with that world. You could keep moving across the spectrum and you could find the ultra-nationalists like the Proud Boys and other organizations like the American Guard, you would find the um, militia-type groups that are super, super nationalistic, but also, um, I would say, like, less, you know, generally much less racist than and not neo-Nazi groups. And so that would be the groups like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, um, the groups that align around... Uh, the Bundy family, that would be right. That's lots a, like of, militia type. Yeah, local and state militias, and that mm-hmm. would you keep going over, and you get to the Boogaloo Boys, who are sort of the newest incarnation of yeah. The let's talk movement. about that. Wait, before you explain them, I have been noticing that there's some people on the left who like I don't even know how to explain this because like the Boogaloo Boys, some of them say they're not against LGBTQ rights. So there's like this bizarre misunderstanding of what we're talking about here. So explain the Boogaloo Boys and why at the end of the day, isn't this all just accelerationism, really? Yeah, that's a that that's a good really good point. Very, very good point. So the the trip about the Boogaloo Boys is they're incredibly hard to pin down because they're sort of an amorphous um, heavily online movement that's largely decentralized that breaks out into sort of smaller formations of, you know, a, a handful of typically young men here or there. Um, so making a lot of blanket statements about them gets, gets difficult. The things that you can say, though, is this, is that a lot, a lot of them sort of say, look, the, 
earlier militia movements failed because they didn't actually go to war with the government. What they did was talk a lot of smack and never do anything. And they refer to those older um, militia members as FUDs, like Elmer Fudd, who's just impotently sitting on his um, porch with his gun and is completely incompetent and pathetic, right? Uh, And they consider themselves the true warriors, the true... um, anti-government, you know, basically insurgents. And across their sort of um, loose loose movement, there's a different um, sort of beyond the idea of, of, yes, we should overthrow the government, the government's tyrannical and repressive. There's really different sort of a, a spectrum of different beliefs as well. So there's guys in that scene who are, uh, I would say, are, you know, explicitly racist, are white supremacists, white nationalists. But I would say then the bulk of the, of the people that I've met and that I've encountered are not racist, are willing to ally themselves with Black Lives Matter and, and Black Liberation activists and see them as, it, it, as um, allies or see them as uh, a useful vehicle to get to the to the means uh, to get to what they want, which is uh, a war against the government. And but I would say they are much more um, socially liberal than um, the older a lot of the older militias. So so you'll find people within that movement who identify as trans and show up at Boogaloo Boy events with trans flags. You will talk to these uh, members of these groups and they'll say like. Like, I don't care what people do with their bodies. I don't care about people's sexual orientation or their gender identities. I don't care uh, about any of that stuff. Um, And I see George Floyd and Breonna Taylor as as martyrs. Uh, And my big concern is the police state, repressive government, um, creeping government tyranny. And really what they have done is adopted a a hyper- libertarian worldview that kind of goes into the arcane corners of libertarianism and gets into um, theories like minarchism, mutualism, um, voluntarism, and and so forth, and um, anarcho-capitalism as well. And they're just incredibly anti-state. But also many of them are, like I said, like they are also... Um, open, you know, and to the idea that the government shouldn't, uh, doesn't have a, a role to play in limiting people's liberties when it comes to drugs, when it comes to who they want to love, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and that racism sucks. So there's a spectrum, I would say, of people in the Boogaloo movement. The thing about them that is um, a, another way to think, I, I guess I would say this, is like one, they are incredibly dangerous, and they were some of the people who are involved in the most extreme violence and most extreme acts in the last couple of years. So there, there was a Boogaloo cell um, in California that has been implicated in shooting four law enforcement officers, um, killing two of them. Two of them were um, security guards at the Oakland Federal Courthouse. Two of them were um, law enforcement down in Santa Cruz. Um, sheriff's deputies, 
there is was another Boogaloo group that has been charged in um, plotting to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer in um, Michigan, the Democratic governor yeah. of Michigan. And there's a bunch of others that have been wrapped up in crazy, crazy criminal cases, including pipe bombs and uh, firearms and plots to kill police and live stream it. I mean, really insane stuff. And they were also right. present. They were present at the insurrection or the, the, at the Capitol. So um, they're really a, a quite dangerous group and like fairly, um, like I would say like out of all these groups, they are real poor impulse control and really apt to do something insane. And well, can I, can I just ask you a question? Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you talk about something like the Boogaloo Boys, with, with everything you just laid out, and you laid that out great, when you're talking about, like, they, some of them might seem socially kind of okay, you know, they're, again, for LGBTQ, they, they, some of them talk like that. Don't you think, I've had, like, say, for example, writer Alexander Reed Ross, who wrote, you know, wrote a book mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. Called the, the fascist creep. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with his work. It's must yeah. use. It's very important to, to understand because he gets it. That you'll have people, or I guess groups, that they'll they can bring people on the left in. Again, a, a creep, right? They'll bring you in by saying, "Oh no, we're for workers' rights, or we're for LGBTQ rights." Are you following what I'm saying to you? This is really important to understand this for everyone. That. Just because someone kind of talks about, oh, we yeah, yeah we should have universal health care. I mean, I've seen Boogaloo boys that talk like that. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be great. Or they'll say things, again, you know, we, I don't care if, uh, you, you know, we a rainbow coalition. You know, they'll kind of lift some of that wording. But in, that, that's, it, it, in my view, it's a way to do entryism. No. No, I think I think that's I mean, I think that's probably part of it and I think that what you're seeing is people that have learned from the the failures of their predecessors and in a lot of ways the earlier the, the legacy militia movement has its roots in the white supremacist movement. And I think the people that started coalescing and calling themselves Boogaloo Boys online, I think a lot of them realized that, that was a much that was not a particularly palatable way to go. At this point, okay, and that you—it's quite hard to build a movement that way. It's easier right. to build a movement if you're um, have an anti-racist or non-racist front. Um, I think right. they also realize that, like, hey, there's this huge racial justice movement that's unfolding in the U.S., and a primary concern is. Um, police abuse and police accountability and those are things we care about and people are mm-hmm. angry and they're militant and they're in the streets and this is something we can piggyback on and use right. to further our own agenda. Um, the I think when you get down to it though, like what you're talking about are people that have such um, a focus on unraveling the government that what they want is essentially a feudal society that um, is uh, it's it, it, it circles like this is part of like um, you could say in very in some ways that's a very very American right wing thing to do to, to, to fantasize about it's like 
a, a lot of people who are steeped in right-wing politics in the U.S. and theory, like what they're trying to do is not create a, a super powerful state, super powerful fascist authoritarian state. What they're trying to do is dismantle government almost entirely so that you sort of right. revert to r- rule of the strong and um, a sort of modern feudalism. And I think that's really the, the Boogaloo project. Their, you know, their um, obsession, frankly, is almost entirely around guns. So they are very concerned about rights and they're very concerned about the, amen- the uh, early amendments to the Constitution. But really, when you start talking to them, the thing that they talk about over and over and over again is the Second Amendment. And it's sort of like an um, obsessive focus on that, that, that okay. I think that ends up being one of their true agendas is like, yeah, we're going to talk about being libertarians and being civil libertarians and government overreach and people being improperly put in prison. But really what we care about is just having access to every weapon we want at any time we want, anywhere we want. But is it, but wait, let's just, let's just hold on, put it, put it, I want to put a, a bookmark there. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the libertarian thing. Mm-hmm. Think about like Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Go with me. And you have the Peter Thiel's of the world. Well, he's running candidates right now. He's friends with Bannon. He's, you know, I, I pay attention to all these idiots. And it's, it's like this very, we don't like libertarian sort of ethos where I think sometimes people got kind of fooled or, or confused by these Silicon Valley people. And again, not everybody's exactly the same, and I'm generalizing here. But this hyper, you know, Pierce Steele's a great example. I would suggest Dorsey's, I don't know, but just Zuckerberg. But then, you know, it goes into extremes. It's like Peter, Peter Steele subscribes to, like, neo-reactionary thought. I'm, do you know what I mean mm-hmm. by that? I'm sure you do. Right, yeah. Right, like like they don't they want to get rid of democracy essentially. It's it's, it's yeah. just like Curtis. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean Garvin. he's the person that would be yeah perfectly happy you with, Nick, with Nick some Land sort of and Curtis Yarvin. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's the person who would be perfectly happy with some sort of monarchical society, right? Exactly. Explain what Neo. I can explain it, but you'll do a better job. Just so people know that these people are not your friends. These people like the Peter Steels, and they're running. They're running candidates, and you've got, like, this, this hyper-libertarianism, but now you're getting into even – it even goes further. What is near reactionary thought? I mean, the thing that, the thing that I have seen out of um, a lot of these folks is this sort of um, – you know, first, first I should say, like, your point is a good one, that there is a um, – deep, deep uh, current of libertarianism within Silicon Valley, within the tech business, and that has informed it for many years. And like 25 years ago, I had a colleague write a story about that um, called Digital Dark Ages. And, you know, it's the the neo-reactionary thing is, is a sort of collection of, thought that that comes around Peter Thiel and Peter Thiel and other folks like that who basically think that the way forward is to the past and that we right. get rid of we get rid of democracy we get rid of um, 
modernity essentially as right. far as um, our uh, how we order society, um, empowerment for women, all that sort of stuff, and return to a sort of life of uh, living under a monarch and that life was better right. when you were um, living under a benign uh, and loving uh, king or queen. And that that's, that's where you... And that you'll the, just kind of be able to do your job or, you know, whatever you're... Deal with your family, deal with your life down the day-to-day. They try to sell it like that. It's, there was this... Uh, Peter Thiel was... There was a guy named Curtis. I think it's Curtis Yarvin. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. a, a, an anonymous blogger. And he is direct... But he was out of Silicon Valley. This is why, you know, again... Yeah. And he's directly connected to uh, Peter Thiel. And this is a problem. So now when I see people going on Bannon's show, then I know that, okay. And by the way, Bannon was, he loved the near-reactionary stuff. That's a fact. Mm, Yeah. So this all goes together. Now, let me ask you a question. When you, I know all these right-wing groups are a, a problem. Who do you, right now, as you're, with all the work you've done, everything you've seen, and you've gone places where I certainly couldn't go, as far as, like, kind of who's driving these messages, I find Bannon extremely dangerous. I really wish he would be indicted in jail. I find, yeah, Eric Prince on, I mean, there's, there's a whole, I would name, like, the Mike Flynn's when it comes to the QAnon. Who in your world is, is just very dangerous? Donald Trump, obviously, because he drives all this stuff. But they all talk to each other. It's, a sm- it's, it's not like they're, they're separate from each other. Who right, is, right. as far as messaging, as far as, like, broadcasting, are they, are all, are, are they just on Telegram? Do they not need Donald Trump? Like, what, who's dangerous as far as the messaging, getting it out there, big platforms? In the post of, the, the Jack post of, uh, the Sobics, on and on and on. Who, in your view, are really a problem as far as like recruiting, messaging, et cetera, platforms? I mean, I think that, that's a great question. I think in a lot of ways it's worth thinking about these people who have, have served as a bridge between um, re- respectable Republican politics and white nationalism. And I think if you were to look back just a little bit, Ann Coulter would be that person, right? She is that oh, person. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that book cavorting. she wrote? She, you you yeah. guys, she, was, she wrote a book that was very helpful to the immigration policies of Trump, which was really written by Bannon mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Sessions and uh, who did work for, who was the speechwriter for Sessions? Uh, Stephen Miller. Back when in the Breitbart days, like before in the Obama years, that they became like the zero tolerance. But Ann Coulter, with her book, Adios America, was very influential. Yeah. And by the way, she's, she's part of the V-Dare crowd. You know that, right? Oh, yeah, that's, you know that. that's the thing. That's, that's, exactly, that's exactly my point is she's this person who had a mass audience, had a very big audience, and absolutely was unafraid to associate with very hardcore nativists, very uh, quite clear uh, quite obvious white nationalists like V-Dare, which is the the super 
anti-immigration, white nationalist sort of um, publication and, and website. Right. And, you know, you come from – so she ends up being this big bridge between ideas that are um, not, you know, ideas that are verboten and the broader, the broader public – you know, I think you come up in time a little bit, and now... Well, think about it, but about think, it. I have to just interject. Think about this. Mm-hmm. Ann Coulter was someone that was... She's been friends with Bill Maher since... I remember that show when it used to be on an 11.30 at night or whatever it was on ABC and in the 90s. She was... I remember her on then. I mean, she's been going on, like, shows like Bill Maher, shows like all these kind of mainstreamy type shows for years. Now, I don't see her much on these things anymore. I don't know. Is she right. sort of kicked off these things? Like, I'm not sure, but Right. I, I think her influence has waned a little bit, you know. Okay. Um, a little bit. Probably. And I think even a few years ago, she had, a, she had some more cachet. You know, I think you come around, her successor would be Tucker Carlson. You know, and that's Definitely. A hundred percent. A thousand percent. Can we talk about Tucker? I don't mean to, I know this. I can have you on for 12 hours. I'm trying to be cognizant of your time, and I talk so much. Can we talk about her? Yeah, let's talk about her. So Tucker, first of all, all these people like the Darren Beatty's who used to, who was a speechwriter for Trump, and now he's like full on in that world. And he's the one that did the, you know that Darren Beatty was the one that did the whole FBI informant pretend story about one sex. You know that, right? That yeah. was Darren Bates yeah, yeah, with yeah. Revolver News. Yeah, with Revolver, so, yeah. Again, he goes on, but he's, I saw this, I saw them workshopping this on Bannon's show, okay? Then the next thing you know, it's on Tucker, and you've got, like, all these people believing this. Right. That's a fact. Right. That is a right. fact. So, these, Tucker, and didn't he, he had, like, white nationals on his daily, like, worked for a daily caller. So the amount of white nationalists that have come through the Daily Caller right. and Breitbart is, like, astounding. I, it's I, amazing. Not, it's astounding. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the, the guy who, the primary organizer behind the Charlottesville rally, wrote for the Daily Caller. And I... Oh. And wrote about wrote about earlier rallies that he helped organize in Charlottesville, white power rallies, without a- acknowledging that he was the organizer of them for I know. the Daily Caller. And um, I reported on that, and he lost his job. But what you see there is persistent um, involvement in those media platforms of white nationalists. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. Exactly. Now, there, I, I am... So exhausted and tired by people saying, "Oh, well, but you know, he's sort of a." Po-. I mean, I've seen whole uh, debates on the left that Tucker's really like a populist. Let me tell you something. He's lying to you. A populist. He's he's for the workers. We should all listen to Tucker because he's for the workers. Or he's he's against elitism. That the elites. Can you can you help me with this? Can you help? Yeah, I mean that's that, that, I mean he had, he's a, a child of the elite who have has rebranded himself as this populist truth teller whose right. um, desire to tell the unvarnished truth has made him an outlaw and a pariah in America, and he's just standing up for the average person and common sense. But really, the truth is is that he's repackaging white nationalist talking points like 
the great replacement and the white replacement theory and um, scientific basis for um, racial inequality, saying that, that you know, um, some races are, sci- are, science has proven that some races are genetically superior to others. You know, he's repackaging these bogus white nationalist talking points day after day for the biggest possible audience. He is the current messenger of white nationalism. You know, I think that's like, I, I don't really think there's a big argument there. I just think that's true. And it's like, in a lot of ways, it, it brings me back to um, the story that uh, the late David Foster Wallace did many, many years ago about um, radio talk hosts and the sort of notion that they're playing a character, you know, and that they get onto a riff and a collection of ideas that the public seem to resonate with their audience and they keep going back to it over and over again. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways that sounds like Tucker Carlson now, you know. But he will, he will brand himself and package himself as whatever, what, whatever seems to be generating ratings and resonating with his audience, whether he believes it or not, or whether it has any basis in reality or not. You That's know, right. It's a long con. I mean, again, you know, and you talk about Breitbart. Who's Breitbart? That was Bannon. That was the Mercers. On and on. And you know, if if one goes, if people say, Mary, why do you watch Bannon every day? Which I do. No, no, I'm not listening. I mean, I listened to it for so long that I. It's a lot of the same people over and over. But it's a right. one-stop shop. I mean, there's a ton. It, it really is. And. Again, today he had Eric Prince on. I don't know what more I need to say to people or show people, but it's every he did the whole stop the steal stuff. All those players that did the stop the steal as far as the, like the the women for America first, you know the, the Amy Kremer and the Kylie Kremer and mm. the uh, all the organizers, the alley, all of them. They were on. I, they were all on and Giuliani every day. Mike Lindell, all of these disinformation agents. Now he might not have people from Adam Watson on. I want to be clear here, but don't think. What do you What do you make it? Why I've seen Bannon like kind of like go shh, shh, like like try to shush people if they're going too far and like you know like spilling the the the, the fact that they do align with us right with with extreme right wing insanity. He will kind of shush them. Or he won't bring certain people on. Am I making sense to you? Like he does it intentionally. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. this is by design. He does this. I've watched enough of him that he does this by design. He's not going to bring on like you know members of what, like name name your neo Nazi group. He's not going to do that. In fact, yeah. he'll say we're not for neo Nazis. We're this is not what we're about. So like you see what he does. You see how he. And by the way, his his podcast is number seven. I checked today. It's number seven on Apple Podcasts. Wow, wow! It, I didn't realize. So that. do you think that's so? Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, absolutely. And this is every mean, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has and, millions and upon millions of listeners. It's. Uh, I tell you that space is a pretty interesting one. The podcast space is a space where 
Um, there's no regulation. There's, there's free for all. Yeah, it's it's a, a free lot for more all. latitude, right? Yeah, yeah. But I right. think like when you get into text-based social media platforms, there's been it's easier for people to track sort of what's occurring, and there's right. been more backlash there than when you get to the podcast space. If you really want to understand what's going on, you've actually got to listen to hours yes. and hours of people talking. I do. And I have to listen yeah. to literally. He's on for three hours a day. I don't. I don't do this because oh god, I can't wait. You know, I I feel so energized and excited. In fact, there's times where even for me, and I've been listening to right wing stuff since the '90s. So I this has been something. I, this is something I've done for a long time. I can handle it, but even for me. I have to turn it off sometimes because I can't. It's, it's. I'm starting to feel anxiety more than I normally would, and I'm like, okay, I can't. I have to for my own preservation. Did you, by the way, when you were when you were interviewing all these extreme right wing people, et cetera, doing all this, were there or looking at their messages on and on? Were there times where it really was starting to impact you? Like you're like, okay, I'm really. This is terrifying. This is dark. Where you had to take breaks, or like, how do you do that? How does one do that? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's so, a lot. no, 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 no. It's a, it's a super good question. So there was like a long period of time when, like, if I would open my phone, the pictures were um, super right wing, very violent protest. Uh, including protests in which people were killed. And then there would be pictures right. of my family and good times oh, and like God. trying to balance those sort of two worlds, like um, to um, have a life outside of work and to surround yourself with people that you love and care about. And then your work involves looking at sort of the worst aspects of human behavior and, and sort of looking at like the worst sort of trends in American life. And looking at people who, frankly, um, you know, would <laughs> be very happy to eliminate my family. It's, uh, oh, it's, I'm yeah, so it's sorry. Really, it's, I'm so it's sorry. Like, well, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's psychologically damaging, right? But Right. Um, and, and, like, look, to be totally transparent, like, my, I have been doxxed. My family's been hacked. My family's been swatted. My company has been oh. swatted. There were neo-Nazis who went to prison in a federal case because of all that and are currently serving right. time in federal prison. So, so, like, that's my – and, that, you know, in crimes that were discussed, you know, in, by the judge in the case as being definitionally hate crimes, right? So that's my, that's my experience. Um, but – on the other hand, like for me, like I try when I quit working like, uh, to leave work at the office. And when I'm not working, I, we don't talk about this very much. We right. don't um, really go there. And, and I spend time in my community. I spend time with my friends and family. And I do other things. And then when it's you time have to, go back to. to work, you know, yeah, you I mean, you have to. And you go to work. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I'm always on the band beat because that's like my particular area. Like, because to me, it's a one stop shop. Like, they all, and I had a suspicion he was dealing directly with Trump, even though, remember when he was ousted and he did that fascist European tour? Do you, mm-hmm. yeah, I know you remember that. Yeah. 
and then they, it ended up being a clown show. And then he, I, I then he started doing this this podcast with Jason Miller with uh, Jason Miller, who then mm-hmm. went on to work directly for Trump. And then it's a, they're all connected, every single one of them. So to me, it, it was, and then it was, it was confirmed in Bloomberg that he was talking to right before he got pardoned. That oh yeah, he's been talking to him for the whole stop the steal period. Where do you think that Trump got a lot of these ideas? Because I watched that show mm. every day during that that stop the steal period, and that just turned into these audits that are happening. So here's a, in fact, here's a question. You know how they're doing these this Maricopa County scam audit with the Saiba yeah. QAnon ninjas? Okay. So when that obviously doesn't go the way that they, because I mean, Bannon's promising a decertification. I, you heard me right. He's promising all these audits, whether it's in Georgia or there's going to be one in Pennsylvania, Michigan, it's going to decertify the election, and then Trump will be back in it. He's telling every day he's saying this. So now you tell me, is he dangerous? Wow. With yeah. the number seven I mean, podcast on Apple on Apple uh, podcast, you tell he, me he's an an iHeartRadio. Uh, that's an iHeartRadio podcast, right? Uh, it's it, they he that's records it through Podbeam, and then they have an RSS mm-hmm. feed, and it goes okay. onto all the platforms. So it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere, right? Yeah, it's but the one like, that gives, the know, one that gives you, but Apple, you know, good to track just as far as like where he, you know, is the the charts. They have like a chart, or where like these smaller, right. you know, like a even Spotify. I don't know if you can see a chart. Like think of the Billboard music chart. I don't know if the other ones. Look, I have a podcast. I don't. I just know that Apple. It's super easy to see it. But yeah, he's everywhere. I mean, you name a you name the platform, he's on it. Now right. is he no, on YouTube? I, no. And that did that that came after the heads on pikes comments. Yeah, remember when he saw the heads on pikes yeah. comment? He got kicked off YouTube and face in Facebook, and he lost the Twitter account. But he's just is. I mean, he's on Roku TV. He's on Dish Satellite. Yeah. He's on. Uh, uh, you can watch him. It, I could go on and on where you can find him easily. I'll tell you the thing that's, that's really uh, honestly disheartening is that I've been to all, all over the country. So I've been like rural Ohio, West Virginia, Michigan, um, Indiana, um, all these uh, Pittsburgh, all these Rust Belt towns and all these places um, right, where there's right. a lot of support for Donald Trump and people are tuning in to listen to Steve Bannon and, and um, where you've had these pockets of, of extremist and white nationalist activity. And you feel like uh, people have legitimate grievances. They have legitimate gripes, right? Like you go to, right. you go to West Virginia, you go to rural Ohio, and there's no, there I'm are from, no jobs. I'm from Detroit you know? originally. I'm from Michigan. Okay. I get it. Like I get yeah. like the, yeah. whole, the whole, you know, uh, uh, my dad worked at the my not my dad, but like that 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 kind of stereotype. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. You know, my I, dad was on the assembly people, line. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I do. I get all that. I'm from the Detroit area. I get it. But that doesn't mean 
I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up in Oakland County, which is a suburb north of Detroit, where oh. it's like auto executive. So it's a little different than, say, down river, where you have more people that worked on the assembly lines. And, and you know, people, Macomb County and et cetera, the ones that you think of, of the white working class that have been seen better times, right, or, or Youngstown, Ohio, it's what you're talking about. Yeah, and when you meet those people and you feel like they're getting, like, they, instead of getting anything useful and anybody truly addressing the root issues there, they get Steve Bannon feeding their fears and um, bringing them bogeymen of different sizes, shapes, and dimensions at all times, right? And that's like... And lying to to them on 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 a daily basis by saying... Hey, listen. We're the we're, we're the real working class. We're the populace. You know, you think that that the that the Democrats or that liberals or progressives, you think they care about your job on the assembly line or your father's job on the assembly line? And my dad was a lineman in the in the phone company for thirty years. You think that they want that for you? No, they don't. You see what I mean? See what he see what he's doing? See what he does? Yeah, yeah. And and you know, it's like. Um, I, I think because there was, um, to some extent, it was like there was a consensus between the two main political parties in this country for many years that mm. corporate globalization was the way forward. Well, like neoliberalism. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that we were not right. going to pay very much attention to the um, the – effects of that the ill effects and by the way wait let me just interject before we continue to anyone who's not sure new liberalism was really first enacted by reagan thatcher it's it's like deregulation it's the privatization so think charter schools it's getting rid of regulations and it's just basically like the markets it's it's actually really libertarian if you think about it right right right, absolutely right right which I think we're moving yeah. away from that to a degree. Okay, go on. But there's been a lot of devastation no. around it. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, continue. yeah. And it's like when you have it, when when people get forgotten about, and there's this sort of vacuum of responsibility. Nobody's actually stepping up to right um, make things right for them. Then you have uh, conspiracy mongers and demagogues fill that void, and I think that's a lot of what we've seen. Right. So the prescriptions that a Bannon or any of these people or or the Tucker Carlson's are giving you, that's the wrong prescription for what for for a very real phenomenon or what's happened over the last days, certainly since Reagan, for sure. I mean, you could definitely say that, that what they're offering is not the answer at all. And it's, they're cynically using it. If you don't think that, that, Steve Bannon, who is Mr. Goldman Sachs, and then made his money by investing in, like, he has a stake, a little stake in Seinfeld. So he went out to California and he, like, he's investing in these, like, you know, helping, struggling shows and more, you know, mainstream. And that's how he made the bulk of his money. It's, if you, but again, if you think that someone like Steve Bannon, or these right wingers, like that, like Tucker Carlson, et cetera, Swanson Fortune, Swanson TV Dinner Company. If you believe that they really have, they care about you. You, it's just like Trump. Is he helping any of? Remember, oh, the new one is they're calling these people that have been arrested for one six uh, political prisoners. Well, so then Ooh. where's Trump? Is where where's Trump and all these guys helping these 
political prisoners out. Right, right. See, it's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're liars. It, it, They're lying to you. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. They're liars. That helps. Are they coming to the rescue? Do you see any of that? I, I don't. Yeah. So just to wrap up, I mean, I would love to have you on again because I just I could go on for hours. But in your opinion right now, and I hope you're working on another documentary. You don't have to say it on air, but I hope you are. <laughs> I'm just going to do my wish list. Thank you. Um, I find your work to be some of the most important work there is. Thank you. Oh, I have a couple questions. One, do you think that the D now it's still early? I mean, everyone wants stuff done immediately. So do I. I, I, I get wrapped up in that, but I'm a little frustrated with like the DOJ. Look, why aren't they going after the organizers for one six? I'm very frustrated. Like, do you have any insight? I, I, there's that. I don't know if Merrick Garland and company are going, at, like, are they aggressive enough? Like, I'm not sure. And I don't know what's up with Christopher Ray. I'm not a, I don't have family in the CIA or the, the you know, the FBI in this case. I, I don't. So I'm learning just like everybody else as I go along. But are we doing enough? You know, I, I think what you're seeing is a, a really – um, remarkable and highly motivated and highly aggressive um, action out of the Justice Department, out of the FBI. Like you, okay. It's pretty hard to think of a of a time when they wrapped up three, four, five hundred plus people in a matter of months around one right. incident. There's just not, you know. And I know that that the, the agency that the bureau is is very taxed with uh that stretched thin working really uh vigorously to to track down leads and go go grab folks uh and arrest but them. But what about what the organizers? They, do they need help? They can call me I'll just yeah, that <laughs> I mean that's a that's a good question. I'll I'll tell you this. That the thing um so it's like I think like you could see if you look over the last five years, you start off with an right. FBI that's probably not prepared to deal with a resurgent um, white extremist movement, right? And they're not prepared to deal with the, the new wave of white nationalists. They're not really prepared to deal with the resurgent sort of activity on the ultra-nationalist militia side. Um, and they have been focused on um, Islamic terrorism, so-called Islamic terrorism, for many years, and um, foreign, uh, you know, international terrorism, and the sort of white domestic terrorism was not an agenda. And so I think early, five years ago, you see a bureau that doesn't really know what to do. When you come in the last five years, I think that's changed dramatically, and I think there's an okay. incredibly high... Um, there's a lot of acumen. There's uh, an appetite to um, make arrests when people are plotting nefarious and full crimes and to make arrests when people have committed uh, awful crimes and to let people who are just espousing shitty ideas and have their uh, 
free, you know, First Amendment, free speech rights. And so I think you've seen a, a massive improvement at the Bureau. Um, the other piece of it, though, is, you know, in the wake of um, January 6th, I heard a lot of people talking about, well, you know, maybe what we need is um, a new domestic terror statute. And I don't, I think that's probably not the way to go. If you look back at um, the FBI, like they have a whole category of cases that are domestic terror cases, and they're captioned uh, 266. That's the code for domestic terrorism cases. And they have a massive unit that's tasked with dealing with that. Um, you know, like I said, it was, it, it was, um, they were out of practice and um, out of position five years ago, but they're not at this point. So they have always been able to open those cases, and there's always been um, a lot of different um, sections of the U.S. criminal code that you could prosecute somebody who's engaged in that sort of activity under. So I don't okay. know that, that like creating uh, a new domestic terror statute actually is the does answer. I, yeah, you know, it's likely to get into this place of over police. Are you again, saying this because uh, of like what happened? Because I'm sure, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to assume that you remember the Iraq war and what came out of that, like, you know, DHS. And uh, is that your concern there? Or is that like sort of yeah, a. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that, that like these things, like you have unintended consequences. Right. They end up, um, you know, finding new targets. They end up, and I just, I don't, you know, I hear this from some in law enforcement. I hear it from some, um, you know, thought leaders and, and writers that, like, this is what we need. And I just, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that. You know, like, I have a But did you hear about this? The, um, there was a, uh, the, I got to look up who did it. It was uh, in Sacramento. It just happened, like, in the last. Yeah, yeah. What was that again? They, right. they, they bombed, they, they tried to bomb the DNC in Sacramento? Right, right. Is that right? And so, so that's, yeah, who exactly. Who did that? Who they, was that? that? Who do they think it so was? So let me, here you go. Let me pull up uh, the press release from the When I speak, can I email them to you? Just like you can show yeah, them. Yeah. I mean, just even. So, because <laughs> so I'm always on this. <laughs> it was um, two men from Northern California, one from Napa, one from Vallejo, California, who were um, planning to attack Democratic Party targets, um, according to the, the um, Attorney General for the Northern District of California. And, yeah, they took and they had that a ton of guns. Right. Right. And uh, it looked like they, we don't they know were what alleged to have... They were, uh, no, I don't think and they know what not, they're aligned with. No, not that I've seen yet. Um, but this is that's kind of making my point. It's like they have the... Um, tools to do these cases exist. There's not a paucity of legal tools. Oh, they said to that they cases. did have, that they, there was anti-militia group, this was just 10 hours ago, anti-government militia group uh, right. connections. So we'll find out which one, but yeah, I mean, you know, clearly. One last question, I promise. Nick Fuentes. Sure. This little punk who's 22 years old. I could literally, he could be my kid. Uh, thank God he's not. Um, 
how concerned should we be of this clown show, the Breipers? What do you think of this? Because now, because he's he he's another accelerationist. He was a part of the entire Stop the Steal thing. I watched it in real time with Ali Alexander and Alex Jones and all of them. He's got a big platform, even though he's kicked off of a bunch of stuff. But should we? How concerned are you about saying this, Nick Fuentes, who wants to go I mean, further right than 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 you know the Ben Shapiro's and all the you know. Right, right. And, you know, I don't know if we ever actually, um, I don't know, did we actually touch on accelerationism? We should hit on it now because you raised it earlier. Yeah, hit on it now. And, yeah. and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, that's the, that's the um, theory that sort of adopted from a school of thought that developed in England about 25 years ago that says, like, everything is speeding up and the world is sort of spiraling out of control. And the yeah, but that right comes from like Mussolini, fascism. Think about it. Right. That's what right. The right wing, at. the right wing U.S. Uh, spin on it is like let's accelerate everything to the point where we collapse society and then we rebuild a right. uh, something from the ruins of that and like let's tear let's let's accelerate what we believe to be ongoing sort of um, entropic decline of. Um, society, civilization. Right. I actually mm-hmm. don't think I don't think Nick I don't think Nick Fuentes is an accelerationist. I do think what he is is a white nationalist who packages himself like Pat Buchanan did, who mm. has been a survivor, who has attached himself to um, every sort of uh, right wing current that has flown. And, and and flowed through this country over the last five years, and like keeps like keeps uh, <laughs> coming out ahead, and keeps being able to build an audience and a movement. Now, there's kind of like on a physical side, like these are nerdy, um, not super. But there's I mean, I watched like a forty-five minute thing. He he did. Right. Uh, he was like he he wasn't he was too extreme for cease. Pack. I'm going to go with that's true. Yeah. But he wasn't invited oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in there. All right. So then he does this thing out across the street. And yeah. he's got these young right. kids. They're like, they look like I could I could burp them. I mean, they're like young, yeah. right? These boys, yeah. and like, they have to dress a certain way, blah, blah. And he, I watched an hour, might have been an hour and a half, a time I can't get back. Just how happy he is that he got kicked off Twitter. Now he can really say what he wants as if he didn't before. And he hates, they basically hate women. He, it's sort of that insult thing. He, they hate women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They hate, I mean, he's just saying all his nonsense, just loud and proud. And he's got these young kids, like, cheering him on. Like, I don't know if they need acceptance or friends or where we're at. with like that, what he's managed to sort of create. I don't know. I really don't. I don't. How many people are in that Groper movement? I have no idea. I just know he was part of the Stop the Steal thing. I do know that. Yeah, and he was at. He was at. I don't. You know, I don't know if he showed up in our film. Like, I was always eager to. I don't think no. I, I watched it like I watched. He was at all the. He was at all the events we were at, and his people were at all the events we were at, and um, it was really interesting to see because he really does not. Uh, he does not play down the white nationalism thing very much. Like he has like very slightly rebranded 
but you know it's pretty clear if you listen to him exactly what he's talking about and he was absolutely embraced by um the info warriors by the proud boys by everyone else in that movement you know like they didn't have a problem with him and that was that was clear you know um, well now he's actually he went on alex jones the other day so Alex Jones brings him to some when they were in Texas. So Alex Jones, obviously based out of Austin, brings them to some like restaurant, and they do this thing. And and of course on Alex Jones Infowars show, he's he's not as he's sort of doing this like everyone should feel bad for me because I'm a political dissonant prisoner. Like I'm a polit- you know he calls himself a dis. There's no room for being a dissonant. You know being uh, against you know the the, the grain or critiquing your government, you know, critiquing things or whatever. And he's not talking exactly like I heard him in that hour and a half horrible thing that I heard the other night, mm. but he's doing it more of a whitewashing kind of polished thing with Alex Jones at this like table. So he definitely has like the InfoWars like audience, I think. Oh yeah. Cause he's, yeah. I mean, I saw through the stop the steal thing with Alex Jones. And Ali Alexander and all, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was all, he was right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, like, his greatest power is, like, you know, is being able to, and, and he's a person that, like, definitely flirts with dark Enlightenment ideas and that sort of neo-reactionary Oh, worldview. does he? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And, you know, I think his greatest power is being able to mobilize, um, young, educated, college boy, white guys to yeah. get into this movement. Um, you know, well, he's, now, he's, whether he's some of them good, become... He's a good, go like, like, like uh, you know, get on the soapbox and, like, be able to communicate effectively. I will give him that. I mean, I will. he's kind of charismatic in a way, and I will give him that, but that's actually not a good thing. I mean, that's a problem. And, oh, yeah. You know, you yeah. Know, he, so you know how he's banned from, like, flying? So that's, like, his other thing for you. He's supposed to be a martyr for their cause because now he's on, like, no-fly list or whatever. And, again, he's a, he's a victim. He's oppressed somehow. This guy, this kid mm. is oppressed. We're all supposed to think he's oppressed. Tucker Carlson's oppressed because of I- idiocy that he – I mean, he brought Darren Beatty. You know who Darren Beatty is, right? He brings Darren Beatty on a show, and that's and I, again, I saw that all workshop. The FBI thing is tracking him, and then the color revolutions of the liberals, and just the, the, it, the, the FBI infiltrated. It was really the FBI that did one six. That was basically Darren Beatty's story. Right, that was right, Darren and Beatty. That yeah, that supposedly all these. Uh, unindicted co-conspirators are actually FBI plans. Yeah, it's like, dude, find a lawyer who can tell you how to read those documents because you clearly don't, or you're per, or you're intentionally lying. Either you don't know how to right. read those documents, or you're intentionally lying. I'm going to go with number two, that you're intentionally lying. Bannon's not a stupid person. These people we're talking about are not dumb people. They're smart. They're not. They're not. I would even say I'm not talking about your average uh, name your white nationalist group, you know, like the, the base mm. or Adam Watson or Proud Boys. I'm not talking about. I'm saying like these kind of these people with platforms, right? They got there yeah. because they're not they're, they're pretty smart or calculating or whatever. 
they're good at strategy. I don't know. But they are either charismatic or they know how to talk to an audience or they know how to package it correctly, as you're saying with Tucker Carlson. Bannon is not dumb. That's why I find this terrifying. These are not stupid people, and they're in it for the long haul, I can assure people. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are you working on now? I mean, you don't have to say if you don't want to, but I, your work is so important. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's not. It's not totally clear. I, I should have some. I should be onto some new project definitively that will like. Maybe you need to do a TV. podcast. You need to like in the podcasting and you just get this out there every day. Because your stuff is super, I mean, you have access to these, you have knowledge that most people don't about these different groups and, and why we should all care. I, I, I think that there's just too many people. Look, I'm in a suburb, y'all. Everyone listening, I'm from, I'm from the suburbs of Detroit. I've lived in the city for 30-some years. Now I'm in the suburbs again in Jersey. It's not, I'm, I'm safe. I'm in a safe I'm not in like 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 battling whatever. I'm in, in a comfortable situation. I'm saying it my husband's in finance, we're not I'm not for want. So I say this publicly. So if I care about it, we you know but I do I know because I don't want our country to lose our democracy. I don't want right wing violence in our country. That's why I care so much about this. And I think some of us on the liberal left, I'm just going to be very shorthand here. Some of us, certainly during the Obama years, I was guilty of it. We didn't pay as much attention. And I know it's exhausting and I know it's a lot, but we, I don't even have a solution as far as this right-wing extremism. I don't know. I, you know that's why I asked you about the DOJ and Garland, et cetera. I don't really have answers. You gave me some hope there with your response. I'm, I, I'm praying we can get through this somehow, or we can tamper. Here's what I think would happen, and you tell me if you think you're, you think I'm correct. Now, again, I've been following this right wing extremism since the '90s. You know, you remember Timothy McVeigh from my hometown, Michigan, with the Turner Diaries. That's an, it was an accelerationist handbook, and yeah. right, we remember all that and Ruby Ridge, and okay. So, but they used to have to go to gun shows to kind of get their message out. It, it was, there was no social media, obviously, back then. It was a different era. So I'm old enough where I was, I didn't have my first computer until I was like 26, and it was a $300 Dell that was, you know, three years old. I mean, it was expensive to have a computer, actually. It was expensive to have Internet. And... I just don't think that these far right wing groups could, I mean, unless you're doing pamphlets and stuff on college campuses, I guess. I don't know how they did it. And gun shows. Well, now mm. you have, you have, where well, you don't need to go to gun shows to, to get your message out. You don't need to leave your house to get your message out and build right. a following. Isn't right. that the difference? Right. I think you just hit on it exactly. And this is a thing that I think it's hard for, um, Sometimes it's hard for younger people perhaps to, to understand is exactly what you just said is that it used to be actually really difficult to find an audience and to proselytize and organize. And to be clear, like the, the white supremacists were early adopters of the Internet. They used, um, you know, 
uh, sort of pre-web uh, bulletin boards yeah. to communicate, a thing called LibertyNet, and, um, you know, have been on the front end, end of that of trying to use different technologies to, to communicate for many, many years. But right, right. now, as you just said, like they have the ability to use the social media platforms of the biggest companies in the world to reach mass audiences instantly. Right. And before, it was an incredibly difficult thing to find that audience, to communicate with that audience, and then to, to organize. And it's just not now. That's right. And as much as people get booted from this platform or that platform, they, they just, end up just they go coming, on Telegram. They go on whatever. Right. Right. right exactly. Right. And and so well, that I think I think you've just hit on it. That's like a really crucial difference, and that right. is a has been an incredibly empowering um, development for these movements. And I also think having Trump in there was also. Yeah. I've yeah, always called absolutely. him like the Infowars president. You have somebody who who didn't denounce, you know, we all remember the fine people on both sides, you know, with Charlottesville. That's a very, people, I see people downplaying that, like that meant nothing, or, oh, no, he doesn't mean, no. When you have a president of the United States of America, who, not just in America, but like on a, in a global, as far as a global scale, is really okay with white nationalist thoughts or accelerationist thoughts, no problem, doesn't call it out, doesn't condemn it. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a problem. And then you have, and I'm sorry, but this is what, you know, I'm going to go back to the Silicon Valley. Now, I'm not going to sound like these right-wingers who are liars that, oh, you big tech. No, they're just mad because, like, they're, a bunch of people got booted off, these, and Trump got booted off. Um, when you have this libertarian thing that makes up Silicon Valley, where it took, it literally took an insurrection to get Jack Dorsey to get rid of Trump off his platform. And same with Zuckerberg. I don't know which one of those two are worse. I really don't. But that's a problem. So you have a, I think you have a multiple things going on. That there's the, the internet that where people can organize and get their messages out from their house, as I said. And you have a Trump who was just an extension of the right wing like a paleo conversion. Like wouldn't you say that Trump is kind of more like a tea I, I always say there's a direct line from the Tea Party to maggot stuff, but you go before that, you know, Pat Buchanan and then the yeah, Dumper right. Society. So the, it, this, it, this didn't just start with Trump. This has been going on for, you know, you could trace it back a long, for a long time. But yeah, absolutely. I think in the age of social media, it just, the, the messages get spread and it just, it's just like, like cockroaches, like out of control. And yeah. I don't know what we yeah. do as a society. I just don't. Well, your work is important. I could keep you on for 14 hours. I know you have a family, and you don't feel like talking to me. So <laughs> you no, no, more no. I just have to. I have a. I have an interview. I have a. Interview oh no, no, no! It's my fault. I'm so so honored to have you on. Where can people find you besides Frontline PBS? Where can they find? Are you on Twitter? I don't really see you. Are you? Do you use Twitter? 
Yeah, you know, I was not on Twitter for a long time because I had problems with Nazis and, and lost access yeah. to my Twitter account because of that. And um, but so we don't I actually have to bring up the advertiser. Re- I have regained I have regained access to my Twitter account, so I will be on there again soon. Probably okay, mostly just sharing great work by my colleagues and people I respect and terrific. Like well, thank you so very much, and please, I'm, I I really look forward. I hope you I hope you decide to come back on. You're so I could. There's always something going on in the extreme right wing world. You're on it, and your voice is so important. And I hope you're doing another documentary. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care.